You guys can sit down. Oh, my. How you guys doing? You guys doing good? Yeah. Woo! I'm doing great now. Good to see you guys. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Uh, as Paul said, uh, my name is Drew Lang. And uh, before we start, um, we need to give honor where honor is due. And uh, I have a lot of friends that are youth pastors that work under great people. But, I mean, I am blessed to work under Pastor Paul. Uh, he, Yeah, man. He's an incredible leader. I feel like he doesn't ever uh, degrade me. He wants the best for me. And whenever I do this, he gets me in the best place and helps me prepare the best sermons. Uh, and you're just incredible. Honestly, no words can describe it. So can we just give one more hand for Paul and just for everything that he's done? Man. Hi. Dangerous Prayers. It's been a pretty awesome series. I mean, I liked it a lot. Uh, the first sermon series, uh, right before Paul preached it, I went up to him. I'm like, yo, man, I'm ready to be convicted. And that's not really something you should say because it's kind of weird. But I said it anyways. Uh, and if you haven't had a chance to hear them yet, you can go online, golfsidechurch.org. Uh, we have them on there. But let me just give a quick summary. Week one, we ask God to search us. And week two, we ask God to break us. And these are hard, weird prayers to pray, because when you pray these things, you don't necessarily know how God's going to answer. But today, we got another hard one, but a great one. And we're going to pray that God sends us. So I'm excited. Like, I'm so ready. I'm like all hyper and everything. So let's just get right into it. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you uh, for this opportunity. Um, You are an amazing God. And We are so blessed that you, of all things, care about us. So, Lord, I pray that in this time that what you speak to us does not just stay here, but that it goes back to where we live. That, Lord, I pray that you search us. I pray that you break us. But more importantly, God, I pray that you send us. Lord, I thank you for what you've done, but, Lord, I praise you for what you're about to do. Amen. All right. Got to be level. Going to be honest first. Can you, can you guys handle honesty? Okay, here we go. I'm a, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with the whole airplane thing. Um, does anyone else feel the same way? No? Okay, we got a few. We got a few. And it, it's not the fact that the airplane's going to fall out of the sky. Like, I understand physics. Okay, that does not bother me. I'm not a physics denier. I, I understand this. It's the idea that you're in a metal circle that's flying thousands of miles per hour one direction, and you can't actually control that direction. That's what gets me a little bit, like, nervous. And I have, very, I have every reason to be nervous, and here's why. March 25th, 2019. A bunch of people board an airplane in London, and the airplane takes off, no problems, bada bing, bada boom, it lands, and they're all expecting to be in Dusseldorf, Germany. And the plane lands, they all get out, and they realize, we're not in Germany, we're in Scotland. <laughs> Scotland's not Germany, for those that don't know geography. Like, opposite direction, bad call, not like what you expected. And my first thought when I'm reading this article is, Well, someone should have known they're going the wrong direction. Like, how hard? Like, just look at the map. But here's the crazy thing about this, okay? And this is directly from the article. It says, the pilots, the cabin crew, and the air traffic controller all assumed they were going to Scotland. And no one questioned it or noticed anything was wrong until, well, they landed in Scotland. Like, they all, the only people that noticed that something was wrong was the pilots. I mean, the the passengers. Like, no one else noticed anything. So take yourself into this moment, okay? You're supposed to be in Germany. You're supposed to visit your family. You only have two days of vacation, and you get off the plane, and you're not in Germany. 
Can you imagine how spicy everyone was? Like, we, we live in Florida, so we know hot temperatures, but the temperature was rising, like, all the way. It was, like, 95 degrees, 100% humidity in there. And rightfully so. Like, they're supposed to be in one area, and they're not there. And you can imagine some of these people, like, I, bear, I guarantee you there are some people that were on business trips, so they had to be in Germany for a business trip. And some people were there for family, so they had to be there for family. Like, they cannot stay in Scotland. Like, what's the point? Oh, I'm going to visit my family in Germany. Oh, Scotland, too bad. So sad. Goodbye. Like, they're not doing that. They're getting the next flight to Germany. They are not staying there. They're not supposed to be there. So why is it that when we are not supposed to be where we're at, we just stay there? When God's called us to do great things, when he is not done with us yet, but maybe it was a bad hand in your life, maybe it was just some poor decisions, and you end up here, and you know this isn't God's best, but you don't want to move forward. You don't want to move forward. But here's, here's what I want you to understand. God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. There is more to get done. There is more things. He is not finished. And if you accept the call of God, he will lead you to a new area. So today, we're going to be talking about three responses to the call of God. And there are three people from the Bible, so it's very easy. The first one is probably a response that you've heard or said before. It goes something like this. It's from Jonah. It goes like this. Here I am. <laughs> I'm not going. You ever heard that response before? So let's go right into the scripture. It's Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amitari. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. So what is Nineveh? Because we have to understand the context of the story. Nineveh is the cultural center of this day. Nineveh is a city of 120,000 people. And Nineveh is extremely wicked. Like, you know that phrase, like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Copy-paste that to Nineveh, okay? Not only that, but there are gross, outrageous violences against human rights. It's a bad place to be, and people are abused there. And Jonah is a prophet, and he is called to preach against it. A very simple call, called to go there, preach, and then come back. And his response is interesting. In verse 3, it says, But Jonah got up and went the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Now, I was kind of wondering why he went the opposite direction. And later on in the scripture, it says, well, He's, he's talking to God, and he says, well, look, I know that you're a merciful God, and I know that if they ask for forgiveness, you'll give it to them, and I don't think they deserve it, so I'm not going. Jonah's, um, you could say, a bit selfish and a bit prideful, caring more about himself and the people that he's around than people in need. You know, there's a word for that. He's a bit racist. Caring way more about his own kind than those that are suffering. But the interesting thing is that God saw beyond race, beyond color, beyond action, and loved everyone the same. God loves everybody the same and calls them all to be a part of his family. He's good like that. But Jonah didn't see it that way. When he had the call, he said, no, I'm not going. I wonder how many of you have had that moment. Maybe you felt the call of God in your life and you weren't sure and you said, you know what, I'm not going. You know, I had that moment in eighth grade. I was moved from Christian private school to low-income middle school. 
Like, if we're talking about a cultural shock, this doesn't even begin to describe how I felt. The people that I was around in this new school did not look like me, act like me, talk like me, think like me at all. Like, like I, was, I was on my own. Now, I was only there for eighth grade, so my thought was very simple, okay? Blend in incognito, low key, like, don't do anything crazy. So, I'm going in the first day, and I'm sitting down at a desk, and there's three desks with me, and across from that is a girl named Destiny. We start talking, and then in that moment, I get the feeling, I get a feeling that I need, I, I need to say something to her. And it's not that I like her, no, get, no, it's not that. I get a feeling that I'm supposed to invite her to church. Now, l- let me take a quick aside for a second, okay? I'm a youth pastor. Do you know that middle schoolers can be used by God? Do you know that the call of God, that obedience doesn't start at a certain age? That it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, or what you are, that you can say today, I'm going to be obedient to God and he can use you? Do you know that? Okay, I, I got to get away from there. I'll be over there all day. <laughs> so, he, I, I feel this need to invite her to church. And then immediately, I, has, I start having this conversation with myself. I'm like, God, don't you understand? Like, the plan was low-key, like, incognito. Like, like, let's not make a scene. Do you know what's making a scene? Meeting a person I've never met before and inviting them to a place that they've never been before. That's making a scene. Like, God, what are you talking about? I'm not doing it. No, no, I'm not. Wait, let me think about it. No, 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 no. So I get home, and I feel convicted about it because, you know, said no to God, like, happens. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it the next day. So I planned the, I started planning the best sermon I could ever make ever. So then after like my thoughts were like, well, if I do the sermon correctly, then in five minutes of this amazing sermon, she's going to cry and then want to come to church. And I'm going to get her with that. I don't know what I was thinking. So I go the next day and she's gone. I'm like, oh, she must be sick. Or maybe I put a bad impression on her. Go the next day, she's gone. The next day, she's gone. She transferred schools, actually. I never saw her again. Some opportunities we only get for one moment. And if you say no, you may not get another one, man. And and the thing that kills me about that story is that, like, for days and years, I was praying, God, I want to be used by you. I want to do something. And when that moment came, I got scared and said, I'm not doing it. And for the rest of that year, all I could think about was, man, I missed out. So I didn't want to be, from that point on, I did not want to be a person that when I heard the call of God, I did not want to say no, I wanted to say yes. And I hope that today we can be that people that no matter what it is, we just say, here I am, God, I'm going to do it. But that's the first response. That's the first response. This is from Jonah. The second response is from Moses. And And he said something that you might have said before too. Here I am. (laughs) send someone else. (laughs) Now, who is Moses? Because we got to understand the context. Uh, Moses is Egyptian royalty. Moses is incredibly and extremely well-educated. In fact, you could probably relate to his education as a doctorate degree from Harvard. Like, the dude's smart. He has power. He has prestige. He has connections. And he has a degree. If anyone is qualified, he's overqualified. Like, he has everything. And not only that, but in Exodus 3, he has a moment where God speaks to him audibly. Like, I haven't even had that moment, okay? So not only is he overqualified, but God speaks to him. And God says to him in 
Exodus 3.10. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my, the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, if anyone's going to do anything great for God, it's definitely the guy that has the degree, the connections, the power, and heard God's voice. Like, who else is going to do it? But that's not what happened in the story. His response is different. He says, who am I to appear before the Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out, out of Egypt? It, it, it's interesting, like, Moses, who are you? You are the most overqualified person of this time. Like, you're the perfect person for this. But very rarely, when we're called by God, do we feel prepared. Even if we have the best training in the world, because usually when God calls us, it takes a step of faith. And that's hard. It's hard to trust God in areas that you haven't been yet. And you can tell that Moses doesn't trust God, because, I mean, listen to his response in the few, chap- in the few uh, scriptures later. He says, no, 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 send Aaron. Don't send me. Someone, someone else. I'm not right. And maybe you feel that way today. Maybe you're thinking, man, if only I was younger. And then the young people are like, man, if only I was older. Man, if only I didn't have the school bills. Man, if only I didn't have these loans. Man, if only, if only I had a house. If only I had kids. If only those kids were teenagers. If only those teenagers were adults. If only those adults were not in my house anymore. <laughs> and here's the thing. We can make excuses all day for why God isn't moving. But here's one thing that I want you to understand, Golfside Church. God doesn't call the enabled. He enables the called. Completely different response. But that takes trust. That takes trust. And you can tell from the scripture that Moses doesn't even trust God. He almost starts questioning to God. Like, I mean, listen to his response. He even says, who am I to go? Well, Moses, who are you to tell God no? Like, who are you? Golf said, church, please listen to me. Please listen to me. If you miss everything else, listen to this. Your obedience isn't based on your belief that you can do it. It's based on your belief that God will make it happen. It's not on your power. And thank God, because if it was on my power, we'd mess up a lot. You've got to understand the heart of God. And the heart of God comes in verse 7. Uh, he's speaking to Moses, and he says, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries of distress before the harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. When God calls you, it's not about you. It's not about your strength. He's calling you to help people that are in suffering. He's calling you to help people that are in need that may not look like you. And Golfside Church, we need to respond to that call. Golfside Church is a place where people should find community, know God, discover their purpose, and make a difference, not just in this county, but in the state, in the nation, and you better believe the world. And will you believe that? Will you trust God? Will you trust God? So that's the second response, and those are two responses from people. But the third response is the really interesting one. The third response is what I want to focus on today. The third response is the coup de grace. It's a special one. It's from Isaiah, and he says something entirely different. Here I am, send me. Completely different. Isaiah 6, 8 says this. Then I heard a voice from the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go with us? And I said, here I am, send me. Now, it's one thing to think of this as like, oh, his life is just easy. And then he says, here I am, send me. And everything's nice. It's another thing to understand the actual context of this verse. Isaiah 
Earlier in verse 1, it says in the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah is the prophet to King Uzziah. And when kings died back then, there's this power vacuum and anything can happen. Anything can happen. If a new king comes in and he doesn't like you, he can fire you. And firing is a bit different than it is now. Um, for example, if, if, like, if they say they're going to remove the head from office, they don't necessarily mean that they're going to take the main guy out. It means that they're going to remove your head from your body. So if a new guy comes in and doesn't like Isaiah, he can just kill him on the spot and no one's going to bat an eye. Oh, well, it turns out Isaiah's a prophet and prophets are usually hated by kings. Well, there you go. So King Uzziah dies. And Isaiah is the prophet, and he's, he still feels called to do, be a prophet. And there's so much uncertainty and so much confusion. And in that moment, God speaks. Please understand what I'm saying. Like, God can speak in your confusion. God can speak in your uncertainty. You may not know how it's going to work out in a month. God can still speak to you and use you. You may not know how you're going to get through this year. God can still speak to you and use you. Like, your circumstances don't dictate who he is. He can easily override that. So will you trust him when it's confusing? I can't, I can't stay there. i got to keep going. So God comes. And it says in Isaiah 6.1, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and a train of the robe fills his temple. The interesting thing is that all three of these men, Jonah, Moses, and Isaiah, all had an experience. They all had an encounter with God. They all heard his voice. But only Isaiah had the right heart posture whose first response was to bow. So then the question is this. How do we get to that place? Well, you could say his life was fully surrendered to God. Well, then now the question is, how do we get to a life that's fully surrendered to God? What does that even mean? And there's three steps. The first one is you need to have a genuine experience with God. And, I mean, if you read Isaiah 6.1, he has this moment. The train of his robe fills this temple, and he's there in this moment, and he sees God in all his glory and splendor. How many of us have desired that moment? Man, if only one touch from God. I know that happened to me once. Um, I know I've been called to be in ministry. Um, I never thought I'd quit. Like, I, I had a feeling that if I was called, that God would provide, uh, and I wouldn't quit. Uh, I definitely questioned if I would survive ministry a few times, because um, ministry can be hard. And about this time last year, uh, I hit a wall, and I was physically exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted, I was spiritually exhausted, I, I, I was just burned out. I had days off, and I was just so tired, I didn't even use the days off correctly, and I didn't want to do this. And I went to a mentor, and I asked him, like, oh, this is what's going on in my life. What can I do? And he gave me the most churchy answer that I knew he would say, but, like, it's really true. He's like, why don't you go spend time with God? And I'm like, well, I know that. And he's like, no, 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 you're not, you're not hearing me. Get away. Spend time with God by yourself. So I was like, okay. So I made a plan that every day after work, I'd go to get dinner early, and then I'd drive down to Fort Myers Beach by myself, and I'd pray. Uh, sometimes for 15 minutes, sometimes for an hour, depending on the day, how I felt. And then I'd drive back. Like, really simple. And I want to say I felt like it was simple, but I, honestly, like, I was just so burned out and exhausted from that moment that I didn't even know, like, I didn't even think that, I didn't even know if God had a reason to come and speak to me. I, I was at that point. 
So the first day, I drive down there, and I'm like, hey, God, and I start praying. You know, I'm here. Can you please help me? Guess not. And he doesn't respond. And I drive back. Day two. Down there, same thing over and over again. And no response. Go back. Day three. Day four. Day five. My situation isn't changing. In fact, it's getting worse. And I'm asking God to be here now, but I don't know if I can make it through the week. But, I mean, I guess I'll do this. Day six. One week. Nothing. Is this it? Is this it? Day eight. Day nine. Day ten. Two weeks. Two weeks. Nothing. Nothing at all. And... Have you ever gotten to a moment where you just lose all pretense and the gloves come off and you tell God how you really feel? Well, I got to that moment. I, I drove down to the beach. I, I prayed. I don't even remember what I prayed. Um, and I was driving back. I, 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 guess, I guess I was so tired of everything that I just let God have it. And it's weird because like when you're doing it, you're like, I don't know if I should say this to the God of the universe. Like, What if he doesn't like it? But it kind of feels good, so you do it anyways. So I was, just had an honest moment with God. I was driving, and I'm like, God, look, you've promised me this, and it's not here, and I don't even know if I can make it to the end of the week, and I'm asking you to come, and you're not coming, and I've been praying at the same place every single day, and you're not doing anything. Where are you? And in that moment, I felt a peace that I have, it was incredible. It was the first peace I felt in a month. It was the first joy I felt in a month. And for the first time in a long time, I felt the energy to keep moving on. And here's what I want you to understand about this. We get to these moments where we're not sure if like we can be honest with God. Like, will he allow it? But please understand what I'm saying here. When you have a genuine encounter with God, it starts with you being genuine first. He loves that. And when you're genuine first, he'll be genuine with you. He'll show you who he is. He's not afraid of that. He's not afraid of your questions. And I had that moment. And I realized, man, he's all I need. I'm a broken, messed up person. I just need something. I have a hole in my heart. Because when God comes, he brings light. He brings clarity. Now, the second part of this is you need to have a genuine encounter with yourself. Because when you, when you experience God, oh, he'll show you things. And I, I, think, I think it's best said in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, sometimes we mistranslate this and we pull out the wrong books, and sometimes we translate it as, for half of us has sinned, half of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we'll even say, like, for 75% of us has sinned, and 75% of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And even some of us might say, for 95% of us has sinned, 95% of us have fallen short of the glory of God, except for those pastors and those guys that wear suits to church, they're actually perfect, and you should follow what they say. Oh, it doesn't say that. It says, for all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Yo, we're in the same boat. We're all messed up, broken people. And the benefit is that when you have a moment with God, when you have an encounter like that, He brings light with him, and he shows you that there is a hole in yourself that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you work, you can't fill it. 
But it doesn't end there. There's a beauty in that hole because you need an act of God to fill that hole. And man, he did that as Jesus came 2,000 years ago to die for us. And it was that death and his resurrection, through that death and burial and resurrection, he has filled that hole in yourself. So the third point is this. You need to have a genuine encounter with grace. You know, Isaiah has this transition. So he sees God, and in verse 5, he says, Woe to me, I cried. And in some translations it says, I am ruined. Yo, I'm dead. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king. That's his moment where he realizes who he is. And then when he encounters God, it's the very next scripture after that. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See... This has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. So your lying lips, atoned. Your pornography addiction, atoned. Your sexual sin, atoned. Your self-hatred, atoned. Your malice, just the absolute disdain for everything around you, atoned. What have you done? He's atoned it. Doesn't matter what you've done. He's atoned it. Oh, but it gets better. There's a two-for-one deal here. It does not just stop there, okay? He doesn't just atone your sin. He makes you part of his family. And, and please, when, like, when we say family, some of you need to hear this. You're not tolerated in the family of God. Oh, no, you're chosen. You're redeemed. You're, you were given a job. You're handpicked. You're not tolerated in the family of God. Romans 8.1 says this. So now there is no condemnation. For those who belong in Christ Jesus. So yes, you may have messed up in the past. You may have done things that even you yourself regret. But when you let God come into your heart, he washes that away and you're redeemed and you have been given a new family. So yes, I know that life has been hard. I know that you've messed up. But take heart because you are called his. You are his son and you're his daughter. I think John Piper says it best. Get alone with God and preach his word into your life until your heart sings with confidence that you are renewed and cared for. So why is it hard to surrender like Isaiah? Why is it hard to say, here I am, send me? Maybe it's because you haven't experienced God lately. Maybe you're dying for that encounter, and it hasn't come yet. But here's why I want you to understand, like, when you get alone with God, it changes the way you answer him. If you're, just, if you're genuine with him, he'll be genuine with you. We need to be a people that spend so much time in God's presence, that spend so much time in his word, that literally when he asks us anything, our first and only response is, here I am, send me. So will that be you? Will that be you today? Band, you can come back up. You know, about three or four weeks ago, um, we were going to do a staff meeting, and we went to the place that we were supposed to do the staff meeting. Turns out they had a garage sale, so we couldn't really do the staff meeting there. It was like, oh, surprise. So we called an audible, and we went to Dunkin' Donuts. Now, I like the Dunkin' Donuts staff meeting for two reasons. Number one, there's food. Can someone say amen here? Amen. Thank you. The second reason is because there's these nice, like, there's a conference room at Dunkin' Donuts, and they have these nice, comfy chairs. I get to sit in these comfy chairs while eating my food, and then I have my computer, and it looks, I feel so official, and I just need that in my life. 
so we're all around this table and we're doing, we're doing a, a lot of work here. Like, it's amazing. We're changing the world in this conference room. And I am not kidding you about this. A lady just randomly just walks in. And the windows, like, they're, they're see-through windows. You can see us in there. So there's no reason that she just walk in here randomly. So we're kind of, like, taken aback. And we're expecting that she's going to say something really important. And what she says literally changes my life. Like, I, I'm shocked by it. Oh, my gosh, can I see that baby? Oh, my gosh. Cassie had her baby in the room, and she's, like, freaking out about this baby, okay? Now, we don't know how to respond, because how do you respond to that? So we're like, sure, and she just goes over to this baby, and she's like, oh, my gosh, I love this baby so much. It's so amazing. Oh, my gosh, you, you did such a good job. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> I'm kind of, like, right here, and I, part of me is, like, really surprised by the situation, and... Another part of me is like, man, I just hope this hurries up because I need to get back to work. Because she's taking a really long time and she just keeps going. And I'm like, man, can you just please hurry up because we have work to do. I need to keep going. I need to get work done. And I stopped for a second. And I wondered, what if this is an opportunity that we should talk to her about Jesus, invite her to church? And as many of you have experienced before, before I said a single word, Paul invited her to church. Nothing changes, right? So Paul invited her to church, and then she starts talking about how she went to church and had some really bad church hurt. And all I can think about is, of course, we're talking to the one person that has a massive amount of church hurt. Oh, my. And the conversation kept going. And kept going. And we started talking, and... It just kept going, and it, it, it's funny because someone who experienced a lot of church hurt was encouraged that day. And I know she was encouraged because there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of hugging at the end, and at the end, Paul asked her, would you like to come to Golfside? And she said yes. And it was an incredible experience, and I'm so glad that we saw that opportunity, and we said, here I am, send me. So church, let us be a people that when we see those opportunities, when those opportunities come, because they will, that are only an easy response is, here I am, send me. Will that be your response today? Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for who you are, that you're so loving and that you care about us so much. And Lord, I, I'm in awe of the fact that your ways are higher than mine and that you plan things out for us. So Lord, I pray that we are able to see those plans and that when you call us today, that we are not like Moses, that we're not like Jonah, but our only response is, here I am, send me. That is the first thing on our mind, that we get rid of all pretense, that we're genuine with God because he can change lives. Lord, I thank you for what you've done. But Lord, I praise you for what you're about to do. Amen.